Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD for October 2nd, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Jim Ropel, hedge fund manager, longtime IBD customer, and featured in a few investing books. I have one right here, a John Boyk book that I, I loved, and, and Jim was heavily featured in this one. So thanks for being here, Jim. How are you doing? Great to be here. On today's podcast, we will talk about the current markets, uh, the obstacles that investors face, and current stocks. So let's get right into the current market. The market is under pressure. We theoretically could go into a market and correction uh, today, too, with the way that the markets were acting. We have six distribution days on the NASDAQ, five on the S&P 500. Obviously, a choppy market. Index is below the 50 now. Uh, Jim, what are your thoughts on this? Having fun in this market? Um, it's actually a lot easier now because it's so obvious. Um, and I'm not shocked at all because the, the true market leaders kind of blew up weeks ago. And I was actually stunned that the indexes could hold within two, three, four percent of the highs. Right. I knew something had to give. I knew the indexes were going to go down or the stocks had to go back up. But this um, vacuum had to close. Yeah. So I'm not shocked. Yeah. It's easy. Now. Exactly. Exactly. You, exactly. you got to sit and be patient. It's hard making the decision, are my stocks topping or is this a normal correction? That's when it's really tricky. Right, right. That choppy market's always the most dangerous market. For sure. So so right now, the best thing anyone can do is, let's assume we're almost in a correction, is be patient, stay on the sidelines, let stocks prove themselves, build right-hand side bases, right? I think stay vigilant, stay on attentive, build your watch list, watch the potential new leaders, you know, stay in the game. And this is the best time ever, because if we do have a decent correction, it's gonna set up really great bases. I, I, I actually get excited when the market goes bad, because, and the more it goes bad, the more excited I get, because the bigger the bounce, and possibly the bigger, more powerful follow-through day you'll get. That, 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 that's well said right there. I mean, what I always like to say is we love corrections. We're going to protect ourselves, and there's going to be that great opportunity. Kind of like last year. The, we remember last year, it, it was terrible, and, and we finished the year. But then all of a sudden, January started, came around, and we had all these gr great opportunities to get in all of these cloud stocks that, that went up on, on a huge run. Yeah, it, I mean, again, that December bottom, Christmas Eve. Yes, the Christmas Eve massacre. <laughs> Massive present. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, Jim, let's let's move on to another topic, and I think this is this is a great, great topic. But how you got started? So, why don't you walk uh, us through this? How how you got started in stocks, and then how you got into IBD and and the whole growth strategy. My Parents were Russian, German, Russian immigrants. They came to America. They went to work in Chicago in the Bally pinball machine factory, stamping out decks of pinball machines, and they all got stock options. And so my grandfather watched Bally, and my dad was watching it, and Bally went from like, you know, they invented Space Invaders, and it went from like 18 to 80, and my dad thought he was like rich with his 200 shares. And uh, so I started listening to my dad, and then uh, my dad inherited a little bit of money, and he put it in the market and gave me some to learn to trade with. And basically my parents and my grandparents were, they were not wealthy by any stretch, but because of that. And then I uh, went to college, the crash of 87 happened, and I was riveted. Um, you know, I literally ran from my dorm to the coin shop to buy silver when the market was imploding. Wow. And 
we would download options on CompuServe for $5 a minute, fixed pricing on options and shut it off immediately. <laughs> and I mean, I loved the markets back then. And the, but the crash really pushed me over. I graduated in December of 87, got a job as a cold call stock jockey. Yeah. And uh, lost money for all my customers for, for, you know, from 87 till I found the paper one day at a 7-Eleven. And then I read the book and I would read the paper religiously and I would take the top of a um, paper copier box and put it up like a picture frame and cut all the little charts out and, and line them in there. And the best stocks would be over and over again, have those mini charts in there. Yeah. And I really started to believe it. And uh, I used to drive at midnight to the paper depot a few towns over to get the paper the night before and read it at like midnight, one in the morning to get a big jump on it. I mean, I was so so totally hold on, Jim. You you so you would go at midnight. You go and get the Investors Business Daily newspaper, the daily newspaper back then. You didn't have the patience to wait till tomorrow the next morning. You were that eager to just get get right there. So you went right to the distribution center. Yeah, the, that's the amazing. Paper dudes would hand it to me for free. They thought I was insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was totally into it. And then it and then it started to work. Yes. I mean, the first thing was cutting my losses. Like I, I, I did pick up some really good winners, but my losers were so horrific it blew them out. And as soon as I started cutting my losses, the performance immediately changed. I cutting losses and implementing better metrics in the stocks I was selecting just it changed everything. Um, it, so I knew it worked. Yeah, and and now uh, mentioned mentioned in the, the the book that I have right here, one one of your winners, and this might have came a little bit later, is I Omega, where yeah. where uh, and, and that was a revolutionary device back then. It completely fit the system, right? It's like you could hold so much more data on on those discs. I remember using those way back when, and uh, and then it, it just became they're selling like crazy. You can and, and it reflected in the huge earnings, huge sales. And it, 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 that stock discounted probably five years forward worth of earnings in about nine months. And it was one of the first stocks that I really noticed, my God, it's 200% over the 50-day, which wow. I'd never really seen before. And I didn't have hardly any money back then. And so it, it just was everything to me. I mean, it was a great stock, um, a perfect canceling stock, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it... I think there are a number of really cool lessons, especially looking at the the chart, the the markups in the book. You had the the patience to let it work for you. One one of those, and we'll talk about this more in segment two. You know, one one of the kind of the flaws for all investors, or one of those obstacles that all investors need to get over, is let those profits run. You're so everyone's so quick to take the profit, especially me. You know, it, it you just feel that I don't want to lose that. Uh, but you had that patience to to you knew the story. And you had the patience to really uh, see the story work out in the stock. That's a massive double-edged sword. I mean, yeah. my strongest point is being able to sit, but it's it, it, I I don't fall in love with them. But I know for a fact because I did a study, the average TML true market leader runs for about ninety-eight point two weeks. And so I know if it, stocks don't triple in two weeks, I know you've got to sit. Yeah, but then. Often I get confused between tops. If, if it doesn't blow off top, I struggle, you know, because most stocks are going to come down to the 50. They're going to undercut the 50. 
they'll stay two, three, four percent below the 50. After that, it's pretty, it's damaged. But my holding is probably my strongest point suit, but it also has hurt me greatly. Yeah. I've given back way too much. I mean, I'll just say this really simply. After huge strings of massive success, everyone is prone to doing really dumb, dumb things. I mean, I don't care who you are. I'm sure George Soros and Paul Tudor Jones have done really stupid things and hurt themselves. So no matter how much success you have, you can screw it up, even after 30 years of success. Yeah, yeah. it's That's part of being human, right? It's... Uh... And the markets might change slightly, the environment, and uh, yeah, everyone's gonna go through that. You know, everyone's gonna base in their, I guess, in their their trading lives too. They're gonna, they're going on these good runs, they base, and then you kind of have to work it out, hopefully, to come out of that. And that's what I'm kind of hoping for right now in yeah. a couple of the past cloud leaders, but um, we can talk about that maybe later. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit uh, of the the conviction that you develop because. The holding, yeah, it's a strength for you. It can be a weakness, but I think that conviction, you you having the ability to really research the company and, and figure it out, to have to have that kind of gumption to hold, you know, a, a little bit more, could help everyone who's listening to this. If you're purely technical and you don't understand the fundamentals, you're just going to get shaken out when the stock has a bad reaction. And if you understand what their market position percentage ownership is today, what it could be, you can sit through these shakeouts as long as they don't violate, you know, 50 to moving averages and things like that. But if you don't understand intimately exactly what's going on with that company, you're going to get shaken out. And that's like the greatest mistake. I hate opening up the newspaper on New Year's Day and seeing the list of the best performing stocks for the year and going, I own 80 or 90 percent of these. (laughs) but I only made money on like three of them yeah. because I got whipped out like a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it getting shaken out, not being able to sit, you know, getting shaken out when a stock pulls down back on lower volume that it was going up on. It's just kind of a normal thing. But if you don't know those fundamentals, you sell, you panic. Right. Right. What, what about when all of your stocks, come down at the same time as, as our stocks are, or at least my portfolio. It seems like I, 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 I have a tendency to pick all those stocks that like to go down 8% all in one day. Okay, that was we just kind of had almost a black swan event where we had kind of a bear market in growth. Yeah. And money management is absolutely imperative. After cutting losses, it's probably the second most important thing. But if you say, well, on an earnings gap, it'll, it can gap down 10 20%. And if it's 10 or 20% of my account, I can lose three, 6% of the value of the account. Well, that's not true because it's probably the best stock in the market you're holding and it's going to wreck everything else in your account. So you're not just going to go down 3% of equity or 4%. It's going to be way worse. Um, so that's the answer to that for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some, sometimes you just have to, I mean, that also, comes to the conviction though too right you're cutting from the bottom or which one is the one that i'm gonna ride or die essentially with as long as it doesn't break the 50 day moving average or or something these other ones are kind of good stocks it can break the 50 day but it shouldn't break it by more than say three four percent and it should be doing better on a friday close I, i look at the 50 day more on a friday close and i also look at the 50 day in relation to how close is the 50 day to the recent, like is the stock been digesting and the 50 day and the stock have converged? Yeah. Like I'm not gonna flip. 
out and sell if it breaks below it and it's they've been diverging okay. together. Okay, no, that that makes that, that that makes a lot of sense. So so to recap here, the indices are, are starting to sell off more. So just make sure you are protecting your principal. Let's take a quick break. But when we return, we'll continue this conversation and get more into some of the obstacles that investors face and that the obstacles that we all have to overcome. Okay, so stay tuned. Whether it's fear, greed, hope, or pride. To become a successful investor, you need to know how to overcome these four emotions when your money is on the line. Join us for a free IBD webinar on October 8th, featuring special guests Scott O'Neill and Chris Gessel. They'll show you how to fix bad stock market habits you may not even realize you've adopted. Go to investors.com webinar to register today. Jim Ropel is our guest on investing with IBD. Okay, Jim, let's continue this conversation and, and really get into some of the obstacles that we all face, right, in the markets today, and, and really face with ourselves. And I'll, I'll make this simple. You know, why is it? Why is this so hard, right? Why is it so hard to trade, and uh, as, as an investor or, or as an active investor? Well, because it takes almost a superhuman to embody all the characteristics required. To be successful, I mean, how about emotional control, not having FOMO and buying extended, not panicking when things go bad and you really shouldn't sell. How about consistency? You've got to consistently implement throughout for years. Yeah. You've got to have the greatest discipline to take your losses when you have them. No ego, you know, choke down on five losers in a row. Um, technical patterns, cups and handles, flat bases, they they morph. You see a perfect cup and handle, and it then morphs into just a failure. Like to you know, to, to sit through the adversity for years and compound out your money. I mean, it's. I went to a seminar one time. Bill gave, and Bill's like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I meet this guy, and he's like, Oh, I'll open an account with you. And I had like five small losses in a row. He's like, This system's the worst. Like he wouldn't sit. <laughs> For five small, you know, five percent losers in a row, right. people don't have discipline. I mean, discipline, emotional control, consistency—these aren't normal human. You know, very few people have that, and that's why even the greats make a lot of mistakes. But getting back on your game and staying in, you know, realizing you've gotten off track and bringing yourself back in—it's it, an emotional battle. I mean, you, why don't people succeed? I could name tame ten characteristics that are all emotional that very few people possess three of right you get them all yeah and you do it for years over and over and over again yeah i, I mean if, if you have five six losses in a row it is it's hard to pick yourself off the floor you know it, just that emotional toll that you get you just start that kind of like what I was talking to you before we started this. I feel like you know, for the last couple of months, I felt like I was snake bitten. Everything I touched wasn't working. But in the end, the market was also, you know, telling me something there too to to slow down, go smaller. But that takes years to try to to learn and listen to the market. I mean, anybody in the world who has market Smith or Wanda can screen for these key variables that we all know is, are necessary. Anybody can do that. But what separates winners from losers is consistently implementing the me method with emotional control, discipline, 
that's the hard part. How do yeah. how do you react when four of your five stocks go down six percent in a day on volume? How is the volume in relation to history? I mean, that's the kind of thing that only experience over long periods, you know, can help you through. It's not a shock why people don't make money in the it's stock true. market. It's true, especially <laughs> the way you say it. <laughs> I know it's it's it goes against human nature. Totally. I mean. You know, how about being selective, like not having FOMO, this, you know, like you see like, you know, fishing lures, they have those spinning things are all silver and attract you. Yeah. If you're watching the market every day and you're watching everything bounce up and down, you're prone to just buy it Yes. because it's moving out of a okay base and maybe there's a bunch of variables that miss that aren't quite there, but it's moving. So you jump on it. You're wasting your time. Being selective is critical. Like imagine you could only make one trade a month. Would you make the trade you're getting involved in right now? I mean, the more I trade, the more I lose. I, when I got started, I traded just radically overtraded. I used margin too much. And now I literally will go sometimes a month without putting an order in. Wow. Wow. In, in, a, in a perfect world, I would be 100% in cash at a bear market bottom. And in the first three days after a follow through day, I'd go 130% long. I'd sit all the way until the market blow off tops, you know, nine months later, and I get 100% out, I'd make no trades in between. Yeah. But to do that is perfection, and that's not reality. Um, and I also, I'm way, I'm way off topic. No, 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 I'm please really, go, keep going. Okay, I used to go for just massive monster home runs all the time, and now when things get really extended, I'm starting to learn to trim and hedge. When things get grossly extended beyond the 50-day more than historically they have been and it's it's a very hard process and oh god i did the biggest bogey in the world when net nvidia gapped out of its very first base at like 18 or 30 uh-huh. well i ran a screen a volume percentage screen and in the middle of the day i see it it's running wild volumes like 300 percent over and i just went and bought a couple hundred thousand i, don't, I bought a lot of it yeah and assistant eve calls him she's like hey Goofball. You know they report earnings tonight, right? I had no clue. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to risk it. The volume's too great and it explodes out. I added, I think, a couple days later. And what did I do? I had, I had no idea I had the biggest winner in the world. But because the earnings estimates weren't huge, as analysts at the time only thought earnings were going to be up like 1%. I trimmed off a third of the stock up 20%. Yeah. The stock went to Mars. Yeah. Right. And before every earnings report, I trim off a little more, and I took a stock that would have, should have been a career stock, and I, because I'd had a rough stretch, and I started to implement trimming when things get extended, I made great, it was a wonderful trade, but it could have been a career trade. Yeah. Um, so I kind of started to implement my new method right into one of the best stocks I'd ever tangled up into. Yeah, well, now, so, so you've, so it seems like with Nvidia back in 2016, you you found it first on the volume screen. You bought yeah. you 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 bought the shares. Get the earnings got you got you survived earnings. Uh, now at that point, are you just going through and saying, okay, why are these guys getting tons of volume? Because uh, I I remember seeing it at that point too. It took me a little while to wrap my head around that. Hey, they're no longer a gaming chip. Their 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 chip is being placed in you know machine learning, self driving cars, artificial intelligence, everything, all of the major growth areas. Yeah, I mean, it it the one thing was there was a stock twenty plus years ago called Four Systems, and I'm going to overstate the case, but 
analysts were estimating that the following year they were going to earn like 50 cents. Well, they ended up earning 250. Earnings beat is imperative in almost every true market leader. So NVIDIA, I'm looking at, I'm like, what are the analysts missing here? The stock is charging ahead. Institutions are gang tackling this thing. And the analysts are so far behind the curve. They had, when it first broke out, they only had estimates like even the following year and like up 1% the year after that. They, they were completely behind the curve. Yeah. Isn't that, that the case though usually? The analysts are, for some of these great, great growth stocks, they're going to be behind the curve and then the, the upgrades and stuff come a little bit later and, and all that kind of, they're, always, they're trying to always catch up to the story it seems. Yeah, I mean, that's why stocks rise. You have right. new information. You have an er, earnings surprise is integral to almost every monster stock because the, the new earnings come out, beat and raise, then the stock rises to accommodate that new information. And you, you need to get a real crushing win. You need five earnings beats in a row, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have a career stock. Yeah. Um, but the problem is it's getting through those. <laughs> uh, well, how about you get a stock that just is absolutely beautiful, and you go, "This is it. This is my new. This is my Cisco," and you think it's gonna have five earnings beats in a row, and you treat it like that, and it has two, and then it blows up. Yes. You think it's going to have five. Right, exactly. <laughs> I've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to that, the, the fact that you're trimming before earnings or taking some off, I, I mean, I can't really fault you for, for that, especially with the way the earnings gaps are these days where they're, they massively gap up or massively gap down, like, kind of like Xilinx. You know, Xilinx started off kind of that picture-perfect breakout out of the earnings report, runs up 40%. And I had that, and then I was like, you know what? I sold some, but let me hold some in the earnings, and it gaps down 20-plus percent uh, after, afterwards. There's a coin flip a lot of times, it seems like, these days. It, it is. It can be a minefield, but I think you have to have a feeling for how the most recent report's been received by the market. Okay. Because even a great report, like Team is going to report in pretty soon, and I'm very fearful that even if they have a great report, they're going to smash the stock. Yeah. Um, you, you have to know the environment you're in, and the government regulators really screwed the investing public by not letting information seep into the market over time as to it's all or nothing. Right. The CEO can't talk to an analyst now interim and disclose material information. It's got to be broadcast to everybody, so it's created a minefield. Stocks don't trend beautifully like they used to. Uh, it's kind of like I read a study, and I think it said – if you weren't in Amazon for all the earnings reports, you missed 80% of all the move. I mean, stocks move most of their moves on earnings. Yeah. You've got a risk. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that, that's a good point. Now, speaking of risk, you know, one, one obstacle that investors face a lot, especially when they are uh, newer to this, is having the confidence to buy on a falter day. And a falter day is that signal that we look for in the market that, the, the market has a potential chance now to go from a downtrend to an uptrend. Any advice for, for those out there uh, who, are, who are struggling with this? You have to force yourself. And I force myself to buy four stocks within a day or two of the follow-through day because I went on vacation once. I was all in cash. We had tiny little kids. And my wife's like, oh, thank God, he's finally out of the market. <laughs> and boom, second day on vacation, we have a follow-through day. I buy three stocks. Yeah. All three were not leaders. They all failed, and the market went on to be a monster. And I said, well, I guess it's possible for you to make three bogeys in a row, but it's not four. So now I try to buy four. That's interesting. Um, but you, the, the, it, what I would say is just force yourself in. Buy whatever 
often I don't know the fundamentals intimately, but I see the price and volume yep. raging. Even sometimes bef- after a really bad bear market, like there was a couple that broke out in 03 before the follow through day. Mm-hmm. And they were just so obvious. And they, E-R-E-S might have been, I can't remember the name of it, but buy a stock making new high on great volume. If it has all the metrics, even though you don't know the fundamentals and risk, and then study the heck out of it and try to understand what you have. Cause you might have a piece of a stock that's going to change your life. If you, you know, I said 90, most stocks have monster runs for about 98 weeks ish. That's from the beginning of a new bull market, right? If you have a bear market, and you get into a stock making an all-time new high as the market's making a low or following through, you probably have gold. It's a very good chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So force yourself in. That that's the biggest opportunity. But you're going to be like, uh, the Fed is tightening and Russia is going to attack Croy or whatever. I mean, there's going to be a million issues. Uh, you're not going to want to do it, but you have to. No, that, that's true. That that relative strength, and this is why we all love corrections around here, is because. It gives you an opportunity to see the relative strength of stocks and which ones are, are dramatically outperforming the market and starting to hit new, new highs. And they're not necessarily obvious to everyone just yet. But the, the market's saying these are the ones that no, the, the funds don't want to sell. They're, they're in, in fact, buying a little bit more of those when the opportunity is there. If you're listening, the market will tell you. I mean, if you got into – I was so fortunate. I got into AYX and Roku just in this last cycle. Yeah. And the stocks just spoke to me. They never, ever gave me a moment's worry. It was easy to make those my biggest positions because they just acted great. And the other things I had, some other things that worked a little bit or didn't work at all, I just got rid of them. If you're listening to the market, it's going to tell you. Um, Listening to the TV or other experts is probably going to be really detrimental to doing the right thing. But if you listen to the price... It's hard. Listen, the greatest buy list in the whole wide world is the new high list. If a stock's going to go from 50 to 300, it's got to make a new high every all the way up. And it's going to be in the paper every day. Yeah. If you only had one list, I would just go with the new high list. It's it's worth this. God, how could you not subscribe to the paper? to get that new high? <laughs> That's perfect. Well said. So understanding all the obstacles that an investor must face is overcome uh, is essential to overcoming uh, and growing as an investor. Coming up next, Jim and I will discuss three stocks uh, that are hanging around in the market today and and ones to keep an eye on if this once this market turns around. Stay tuned. Want to find stocks like the ones on this podcast? A lot of the best names we talk about come from IBD's exclusive stock lists, like the IBD 50 and the Big Cap 20. Whatever type of investor you are, we got a list for you. You can access every one of IBD's lists, plus stock ratings, exclusive analysis, and one-on-one coaching with a membership to IBD Digital. It costs less than a dollar a day, but for podcast listeners, we're offering an even better price. Go to Investors.com slash podcast offer right now and get your first two months for only $20. We are back with Jim Ropel. So, Jim, let's get into current stocks. But before we do that, uh, let's talk a little bit about IPOs. My assistant, just my friend Eve, who runs my small fund for me, just wrote a book. And it's a phenomenal book. And I've learned that I hate IPOs. Um, (laughs) I like seasoned IPOs. 
Eve uncovered a statistic that I'm going to paraphrase, but something like 95% of all stocks will undercut their initial day open within one or two years. So I hate those odds. Yeah. And she also uncovered something called the institutional due diligence phase, which I understood in subliminally, but I never had it brought to light. She explained that it takes a year or two for institutions to do their research and then support the stock. Um, I just think the odds are so negative with IPOs. They're illiquid. As soon as you get a monster on hand, like I just had Pinduo, PDD, mm-hmm. and they announced the secondary, and I got slammed on the thing. It looked great. I just find it to be way better to get in there two years after they come out and just avoid all of the pain and all of the mental beating up and getting stopped out of these lower volume, less liquid names. Uh, so, and here's another thing. I was in a lot of the great IPOs just because they fit the CanSlim template perfectly. Google, um, that uh, that company beginning with an A a year or two ago. The point is, if you're looking for the key variables, you're going to get them whether they're an IPO or not. But just looking for an IPO, I think, is counterproductive. Um, and the other thing is, I think liquidity mixed with extremely high earnings growth is like the magic elixir. Interesting. Extremely high liquidity is key to almost all of the true market leaders, and most IPOs just don't possess it. Um, so that's seasoned IPOs could be gold, yeah, but new IPOs mostly losers for me. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And now let, let's get into some of the current stocks, and some of these were went through kind of fit that characteristic those seasoned. IPOs. Now, the the first stock that we're going to talk about is Okta, and mm-hmm. uh, this was a security stock. That these guys have done uh, quite well, but like a lot of the other cloud stocks, they uh, they've gotten hit recently. Uh, what, what what are you seeing here? Well, um, the one thing I want to point out is on Okta, on the day of three eight nineteen, okay. it had one of the most unique days where it gapped down and see at 7044 it gaps down yes. that was on earnings yes and it closed above the 50 it almost closed up in volume 9.5 million shares which was one of the heaviest days it's ever had yep to me when i saw that it looked identical to the greatest stock i kind of have ever seen in my career which was ascend communications on 10 5 1994 i owned ascend and i had probably like 200 shares or three a very small position it gaps down. I'm like, oh, I broke the 50. This is a disaster. I puke it up. Yeah. And Ascend went on to go up 3,936% in 98 weeks. Oh, my God. I, I remember I got, that chart. That That's one of the most epic charts out there that, that you can uh, look at. And, and look that, at yeah. the date of 10-5-94. It was a just crazy shakeout. I created a rule. If I get shaken out of a stock and it closes above the 50, I have got, got to get, get back, back in. in. Um, so now I'm out of, well, that's a little bit of a misnomer. I have a tiny little position in Okta now, maybe like 8% of my account is in it. Um, it possibly could be cupping. It's probably really damaged goods. I overstayed my, um, welcome. Yeah. I have a rule. I call the 50 day moving average, the guardrail, and I violated my own rule. I, I puked out some and, but I believed in it too much and uh-huh. I held it through the 50 and. I had a, I've had a significant drawdown. I've turned a year that was a triple into a base hit. It, but I was going for the grand slam. Okay. Uh, 
So I would look at Acta and maybe see if this is going to round out, um, which I really think ServiceNow has a much better chance of because as the market's been making a lower low, ServiceNow really hasn't. It made a very marginally lower low and it seems to be much further into a basing process. Yeah, so let's go over to that. Let's let's switch over to ServiceNow then. The ticker symbol for that is NOW. And and you're right, I just pulled up the chart for ServiceNow and it, it it looks a lot more constructive than than the Octa chart. Well, it's only 18% off the high. Yep. It is trying to hold the 200 day as to where a lot of real leaders are down 35% and even in some cases like Roku, like 40, 40 plus percent. Um, I, I am trying to elongate my time horizons with stocks and trying to hold them for really big moves. Um, like I said, you've, if a stock's average monster run is 98 weeks, you've gotta be willing to sit through real pullbacks, new base building. Um, it, I'm not a base hitter. I don't, I, day trading is just insane to me. I, I'm terrible at it. Uh, but I want to hold. And so I'm trying to see, I have a little bit of, I have about an 8% position, position in service now, and uh, I'm going to see if it bases. I'm, and if it undercuts the recent lows, I'll just get out of everything. And maybe we're going to, if that happens, maybe this market's going to get a lot rougher. Right. But I think it's still earlier in a secular bull market. Okay. And now for, with talking about position sizes, are, what, what's your typical position size? Is it around 20%, 30%? When I got started a long time ago, sometimes it'd be forty percent of the account, and I'd put it on margin. But now, I think I don't want to. I run partner money, so I can't take crazy risks. Um, I think this. I would never take a position less than ten percent. How often do you get a hundred percent winner? Well, if you only if you have a ten percent position, it's a hundred percent winner. You only made ten percent of equity. Right. You need minimum ten percent, but when you get over eighteen percent, and you get into earnings and mine minefields. It can be too detrimental, but 18% on 100% winner is meaningful. If you get 300% winners at 18%, now you're having a very good year. Subtract out your losers. Um, this is so important. I can't. After cutting your losses, money management is even more important than selection criteria. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, in the and I've I've said that a number of times. It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't matter the strategy. You have to find a strategy that works for you. But every strategy needs some kind of money management to let you know when you're wrong and, and free up some of that capital. And and not to take excessive risk. I've seen I've seen hedge funds in beautiful stocks almost get wiped out. It's not worth the risk. You want to stay. I've been doing this for thirty years, primarily because I always cut my losses. I'm not a disciplined person. Maybe so much in my personal life. But in this life, yeah. it's kept me in the game. It's it's the golden. If you want to stay in this game for a long time, you want to not just get rich, but stay rich. Loss cutting, money management. You could throw darts at a paper. You paste it up on the wall and cut all your losses at three, four percent, and cut and take all your gains at twenty, and you're going to make money with no selection criteria. You employ good selection criteria on top of that which all the variables are in the paper most days, yeah. you're going to make money over time. But who has the discipline to stay with it for 20 years? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's so true. It's, it's, it's always there. Yeah, I mean, that, that's so, those obstacles again. Uh, let's go to another stock. This is DocuSign, ticker symbol uh, D-O-C-U. And obviously, these guys have a, a great story. 
uh, going and make, just makes it so much easier to sign contracts. And most people who've, who've bought a house in the last five, six years, they've probably used a, a DocuSign or something like it. Uh, what, what are you seeing here? Well, you had this volume up, uh, earnings volume gap earnings. explosion. Yep. Yep. And I just think that is, it's, I would say almost a third of the stocks I've had that I've made a lot of money on, I didn't really even know them that much before that earnings uh, volume exploded up. And this one fits it perfectly, and it's even withstanding the down uh, trend in the general market, and, and more in growth stocks. So it's really, really showing exceptional strength. It's, it's talking to you, the market's talking to you, but I am not getting involved with it because I'm so, uh, the mark, general market makes the odds negative for me. So I'm watching it. If we had a follow through day, this would be the first stock. I would go right here, immediately right to this stock. I think it's got a chance to, if we don't have a bear market, which I'm not predicting, but if we have a bull trend emerges, this is likely to be very good chance it could be the leader. Yeah, it's right near new highs, and it also is fitting the the IPO concept that you were speaking about earlier, where it's been basing essentially for a year and a half or so, and now this given enough time for the funds to do their research, and now if you get in, into a, a new bull market, that this could be one of those ones that they they go to first. I, I it the institutional due diligence phase is over or near over, and it had a blowout earnings report. And again, there's the beat and raise quarter. It just, it has a great fundamental story. It's, it, this could be a monster. So I'm watching it and uh, I'll be watching it from China in two weeks. Hopefully <laughs> move without me. And, and uh, if, if to take a look at DocuSign, they have triple digit earnings. Every quarter besides this most recent report was triple digit earnings, huge sales. And there was something you learned from Bill O'Neill a while back about triple digit earnings, right? Well, I, I had a little snag in my trading and I sent him some charts and he, he goes, anytime you have a stock with triple digit sales and earnings, you cannot sell it until it breaks the 50 day. And he wrote in handwritten to me, he wrote triple digit sales and earnings stocks can go way farther than anyone thinks. So I, I, I have screens that exclusively screen for all variables better than 20%, 40%, and then triple digit sales and earnings. And those are like gold i'm not there's only 5500 public companies right. i'm really only interested in like 10 of them they they meet those metrics and DocuSign's one of them yeah that that that's really really cool let's go to one more stock here uh this is atlassian uh ticker symbol t-e-a-m this is one of those first stocks that emerged out of the bear market from last year and you know, like a lot of these other cloud stocks, they're, they're basing right now. Hopefully they're basing. Uh, hopefully it's not much worse. But what, what are you seeing here? Again, it, it reminds me of uh, ServiceNow. I, I don't like the light volume rally off the 120, but okay. it is only 18% off the high. It, you know, you're going to have some bad volume characteristics on the left-hand side of a cup. Yeah. And, you know, you've, I'm pretty bullish on this. If we were in an uptrend, this is probably, if it would start to work up the right side of a cup, I would have to be, I, I am in, again, about 8% of this thing. But the, all three of those stocks I'm holding from way back. I mean, I'm up like 50% on all of them. Yeah. Um, so I have like remnant positions. Uh, and I think it could end up being, I don't think the build out in cloud is anywhere near over. I think we're in like the third inning. Like this is going to go on for a long, long time. And these are these guys are a leader in this space. Their earnings are great. They have a little institutional sponsorship. And 
Um, but if, if it undercuts the recent lows, I will get out of everything. If, if these three stocks undercut the recent lows, I would think there's a good chance the market is way worse than we think. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It, it was kind of I mean, like last year, too, where it was hanging around a little while for during September and October. But then those lows were undercut and then it just got worse and worse and worse. I mean, think about the weed stocks like uh, Canopy Growth. Right. It, everybody's like, these are the greatest stocks ever. Humans are going to default to the lowest combinator. Everyone's going to smoke weed. Yeah. These things go to Mars. Yeah. And they've been the biggest disappointment. If, if you had normal cell rules, there's no way you're in any of that stuff. Right. But the hype was so enormous. Um, if you undercut the lows, it could get way worse than way worse than you think. Just take a look at Canopy. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a, a great way, a great example to end on because uh, I, I that was on my watch list for a while this year, but it just never find, set up, and, and it just kept getting worse and worse, and that's that's the, the magic of charts. Uh, so there are a number of stocks there that have gotten hit in this market, but you want to keep them on your radar because they do have great fundamental stories, and they could eventually form bases. But in the end, as Jim has mentioned a number of times here, if they start to undercut the lows of, of uh, their, their most recent lows, they could be in a little bit more trouble, and this whole market could be in a lot more trouble. So thanks, Jim, for joining us today. Great to be here. You know what you said? Let's end, and we ended on a negative stock. Let's end <laughs> on a true. super upbeat, optimistic uh, conclusion. It's just a base. It's just another at bat. And I'm 54. I think I lived in 95. I'm going to have two or three at bats every year for the balance of my life. I'm probably going to see 250 real true market leaders. And anybody can do this and start with a really small amount of money and make life changing money. So let's finish on that. that I, I like that a lot. You, you, you're great inspiration. And, and so thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, dude. Have a great day. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we will have David Keller, Chief Market Strategist at StockCharts.com, President of Sierra Alpha Research. And it was pretty cool, but he also used to lead the technical analyst group at Fidelity. Uh, so that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.